due to exceptional performance. The Leaders Podcast. This podcast is an introduction to the 10 essential elements to achieve an exceptional performance culture. Episode by episode, we break down five elements in planning, the what, and five elements in leadership, the how. By having experts share their experience, knowledge, and expertise in realizing these essential elements. The what, or the planning elements, are explored in our first five episodes. First, defining purpose, working on your charter together. Then, taking stock, getting real about today. In our third episode, we look at communicating the vision, getting creative to define the future and chart the course. Episode four, creating ownership, we look at getting buy-in and rigorous implementation. And finally, ensuring alignment, identifying roles, responsibilities, and KPIs. In our last episode, Rob explained the first of the 10 essential elements for achieving exceptional performance culture in an organization. We began with the purpose, or the organizational charter. This involves having your best team members be a part of defining your charter so as to best represent your desired reputation to stakeholders. Rob walked us through all the steps required for creating an effective charter and shared an example of the outcome. Today, Rob explains the second element, taking stock, getting real about today. Rob, can you explain to us what you mean by getting real? Yeah, it's an interesting choice of words. I'm boring, borrowing that shamelessly from Peter Drucker, who used to be famous for saying, you have to get real before you can get creative. And we've certainly seen that in our practice over the last dozen years or so as a group. Um, you know, So let me maybe frame it this way. Many organizations or teams um, get excited about planning their future state. So they look at coming up with goals and strategies uh, in a, you know, sort of a desired point B, if you will. And that's normally not the gap that we see in business planning. The biggest gap, the most common one that we see is that they overestimate where they are today and they have, aren't really getting real. So a simple analogy is if, if you're planning to drive to Montreal, but you're in and you think you're in Chicago, but you're really in Seattle, well, <laughs> you probably don't have enough gas to get to Montreal or enough food. So it's the same thing in a business context. Many organizations are just not self-aware. They, they oftentimes overestimate customer loyalty, for instance, and then they design programs that assume that loyalty, that fail miserably, and they can't figure out why the strategy didn't work. So it's really important for organizations as they start to work towards that future state, that they take some time today and do, you know, what everybody says in the business books you should do. And that's a SWOT, strengths and weaknesses of the organization. Look externally at the opportunities and threats in the external environment. But more, more important than anything else is what are the background assumptions in that SWOT and then pressure test those assumptions. How do you pressure test those assumptions? Well, you know, what we try to do once they've drafted up the SWOT analysis, and a lot of people will be familiar with that summary document. You end up with a four-quadrant analysis, the strengths in the top left corner, the most relevant weaknesses top right, the most important external positive trends, the opportunities we call them bottom left, and bottom right, those external trends that are net negative to or a threat to the organization. And that's great. Everybody gets that. But then what we ask them to think about is, okay, but what assumptions are you making when you stand back from the so-called current status? And then we ask them to put those assumptions and rate them in two levels. First of all, how critical is that assumption to the future of the organization? Is it low, moderate, or uh, critically important? And then how certain are they about 
the assumption that they're making, a low certainty, medium certainty, or high. And any assumption that is either moderately important or very important and is also either of moderate uncertainty or high uncertainty, in our opinion, should be uh, pressure tested. They should do some further follow-up to make sure that they're not making bad business plans off bad assumptions. Do you have an example of a client that did a good job of pressure testing those assumptions? Yeah, there's in particular, I think of uh, one of our clients in the, again, the high tech sector. Uh, They went through the SWOT analysis and they came up with um, what they called an attack plan against the the important assumptions that were underneath the surface. Uh, One of the most important ideas in the background of their plan was that they had a highly effective uh, sales organization. And so rather than take that at face value, they went and looked at metrics for uh, Salesforce effectiveness. And then they also were concerned about what they call uh, technology leaders. These are like key opinion leaders in the market that can often sway uh, where that market goes for the latest technological advancements. Oftentimes, these are bloggers or uh, you know people who write in tech magazines or online articles. So those two key areas, Salesforce effectiveness and what we might call key technology opinion leaders, uh, they had made some important assumptions around. So they organized a little bit of a task force. They identified the people who go out and um, update their information, their assumptions. They put together an attack plan. They vetted that attack plan with the planning committee. And the, t- the two key leaders of those sub-teams, Debbie and Bob, went out and looked at those two assumptions in turn. And boy, were they ever glad they did because what they found out was that they were better on Salesforce effectiveness than they originally thought. They were viewed by many of their uh, suppliers in the supply chain as well as their downstream retailers as having a highly engaging and effective sales organization, much better than their competitors. And they thought initially they were middle of the pack, so they could leverage that in the future planning. But on the opposite side of the equation, when Bob came back with his report, they found out that these key technology opinion leaders were not on side. They thought that they were supporting their technology and they saw them as the leading edge company. But when they had done some in-depth interviews with what they thought were the top 16 uh, from coast to coast, they found out that 12 had shifted their opinion to one of their emerging competitors. So they needed to start with a different set of assumptions and it made a big impact on their strategies and plans for growth. So visions, strategies, and plans for growth, that'll be the theme of next week's episode. For this week, though, do you have any more insights on getting real? Yeah, I think one of the observations we would share with your listeners, Eric, is it's really important to make sure that what other, whatever methodology you use to validate assumptions that you're thinking critically and clearly about is the data set up to be objective and accurate. So I'll give you an example, um, which many of our listeners can identify with. In the past, I'd say seven to eight years, you've seen um, quite a spike in the use of employee engagement surveys, oftentimes, you know, global benchmarking and comparisons of engagement. And listen, we all get the idea. And I'm, as I said in an earlier podcast, a proponent that the level of engagement of your employees matters a lot. But you got to be careful to look at the, the science behind the measuring of that. So one of our uh, planning clients uh, recently um, had talked about their organization and the level of engagement in very favorable terms, but the planning committee identified it as a key assumption. 
And they were going to go back to the the data set that had been driven internally with an internal employee engagement study. And during the discussion with the planning team, we all came to the conclusion that that would be a dangerous approach. And here's why. What's happened with um, these sort of sort of regular occurring instruments like employee engagement surveys is that the first time that organizations use those types of tools or methodologies, I'm sure most employees, and I was certainly in corporate life when this happened with an employer I work for, you get the survey online and, you know, you treat it fairly urgently or importantly in your inbox. You take your time, you answer the survey as effectively as possible, and you you kind of wonder what happens with the survey from there. Now, best case scenario, the survey goes into the human resource department and up to the executive team. They listen to what comes back from all the respondents, and then they let people know what did they hear Here's, here's, here are the gaps, here are the action plans, here's what we're going to do going forward. That's the best case scenario. What more often than not happens is that this data goes into some kind of vortex. The people who responded to it never hear much back, and they kind of wonder, well, what was that all about? So here we are five, six, seven years later, and what's happening now when you think about employee engagement surveys, and our listeners can relate, I'm sure, to the last time it hit their inbox, most people, unfortunately, try to get that that sort of uh, inbox item out of their inbox as quickly as possible and get on to something they find a little bit more consistent or measurable or meaningful. So rather than take the time to really think through their answers, a lot of people have learned, I'm better shape if I just answer in the middle of the quantitative <laughs> values. So if there's a five-point scale, I'm going to give everything a three. I just want to get this done. And, and the other thing is, the last time I answered critically and gave negative feedback and suggested feedback, I got put on some committee or I got singled out and, and penalized. Or in, And I have just talked to someone who you know, shared that, that his wife was let go from a job because she's one of the people who was courageous enough to point out in an engagement survey that there were issues. Now, hopefully that doesn't happen too much, but even people who have less of a negative experience will tell you that not much positive has come out of those ongoing engagement surveys. So their data going in is garbage. So the report coming out is useless. And we just recently had a client that understood that that discussion was important. And rather than go back to what we think was a fairly contaminated engagement survey, they decided to do a deeper dive. And they hired actually one of our partners from Enveronics, uh, David Jamison, to go and do some fr- you know, one-on-one interviews with key employees at another a measurement tool from a company called Barrett and really try to understand what's going on below the surface. Uh, kind of like a, a blood test uh, is an engagement survey. It's a symptomatic assessment, whereas an MRI gives you the deep dive. And this certainly was an MRI. It brought a lot of clarity to the surface for our client in terms of that assumption around their employee engagement. And it gave them much more powerful information in order to which to plan. Now, we'll be getting in, into that part of our 10-step process in a little bit more in detail in the future. But to your question of getting real, I'll tell you, that's really important is making sure that there's a process there where the data that comes back, that people can take that data to the bank before they start talking about the future. Right. Well, and then on our next podcast, Eric, we'll be getting to the juicy part. You know, a lot of people, when they think about business planning and implementation, best practices, I think a lot of business people get really excited about strategies for growth and letting the creative juices flow. But 
we're going to talk a little bit about what it takes to optimize that creative process and uh, really get the most out of the talented people that our listeners would have assembled into a room to do future organizational planning. Thanks, Rob. To hear more about that, be sure to catch our next episode, episode three, Communicating the Vision. That's it for episode two of the Exceptional Performance Podcast. On behalf of myself, Rob, and the team working to bring you this show, we thank you. See you next time.